When is the right time to raise prices? Not how much, but when? When's the perfect time? How much time should an accountant be spending on content creation, if any? How do you move people to upfront billing? And where have I been? Why have I not been publishing every day? Uh, we're doing a Q&A. First Q&A we've done in a while. Come on in. Let's talk some shop. Okay, this is a collection of questions across social, across YouTube comments. As always, keep those cues coming. This is arguably the most helpful thing that we do on the show, I think. It is like real questions that people actually have. Don't be afraid of asking the dumb questions. Because you know what? At the end of the day, we're all dum-dums about something. There's your cross-stitched potholder moment, straight off the top. Okay, from Mr. Carondal. Sorry, uh, on a YouTube comment. Love this, my partner and I are talking about raising prices on our monthly bookkeeping services. What time of the year do you recommend for this? We're thinking after tax season. Thoughts, triple question mark? Depends on how, how dire that need is. Uh, I've had situations where it was very important that those prices went up stat. And in situations like that, I think desperate times call for desperate measures, not because the machine was running out of money, but because it came to our attention that the reason that clients were actually with us was because we were the cheapest option in town and we had, as a result, collected all the cheapskates. So in a situation like that, it was like, we just gotta rip the bandaid off right now. But the longer term correct answer here, I think is much like how we talked about the cadence you set around firing clients and re-engaging clients. Uh, if you spring a price increase on somebody when they're not expecting it, that's scary, right? And that's a stressful conversation because it's this sort of ta-da moment. Much like the reason why most people don't fire clients, I honestly think is because it's scary and uncomfortable and we don't wanna to have to have that really hard conversation. And our logical business minds can see why we should do that, but I think the biggest stopper is just that we don't like conflict, and that's why we went into business to talk to numbers all day. And so the best way to manage that price increase sort of discussion on an ongoing basis is just to make super explicit from straight from the top when you start off with a client that every year we will go through a renewal process. We'll decide to renew renew with some clients. We can never renew with 100% of clients and we'll talk through fees again at that point and kind of re-explore scope. And the value of setting that expectation straight off the top is it's never this ta-da surprise thing. Much like if you decide to not re-engage with that person and, and not work with them another year, it's not this big surprise ta-da thing. It happens every single year and both parties come to a decision. That's just how it ought to be. And for me, that takes the big, scary surprise out of it. So you absolutely need to change prices every single year. It might go up, it might go down, but the biggest trap here is never changing your price. And then it is like a quadruple ta-da the day that you do. So that just needs to be part of the cycle every single year. And you can do that renewal on the same schedule for every client. You can spread it out throughout the year so it isn't this big project that hits all at once. But the client needs to expect that this is coming and this is just part of the annual business cycle. Like, that's not unusual. That's perfectly normal. Software maybe doesn't work this way, but you know what people do when like software has this surprise increase? They get really pissed. So like, if you have a contract with somebody, it is not unusual to revisit that every you know, X months or whatever the term is. So you just set that expectation up front so that they know we're gonna be revisiting the pricing conversation at that time. The pricing conversation, I guess, and the scope conversation. You know, what are we doing for you? Is all this stuff still necessary? Is there a better way to apply the same effort in a way that's gonna be more impactful for the business? And so the long-term, like the cadence for that is you just, you need to do that every year. And if something changes drastically in the meantime, you do it sooner, like 
they open another business location, something like that. But that stuff needs to happen every single year unless you're in a super desperate spot at the moment and you just realized, holy smoke, I just gave away the farm. Don't wait till the end of the year. Most people set like no expectation around when they will reprice. So in that situation, the world is your oyster. But even in the annual cadence, like you still leave the door open to having to revisit that sooner if needed because scope and circumstances change. But the more you set that expectation, the less scary of a thing it is, the less emotional it is. Oh, here's a million dollar question. This was new access on YouTube. How many hours would you recommend at a minimum or ideally for weekly content creation? This is my first week of time blocking an hour a day first thing in the morning to work on content. Feels like a lot to me, but then I hear people talk about the amount of content that's ideal and it's hard to think four to five hours a week is enough. Oh, this is, yeah, you're gonna get wildly different answers. So this last week, Ignition, the proposal software Ignition, had Gary V on a on a uh, webinar and it was super interesting, super fun. Logan got to be on there, Don Brolin. And Gary V famously, like he's a Instagram kind of celebrity. He famously tells people you need to be posting prodigious amounts of content online every day. He's like, you ought to be posting 16 times a day on social media. And that's not just on a single platform, but across a bunch of different platforms. Because that's how you find people these days. And business boils down to finding people. Like we talk about that here a lot. And so he always gives people a hard time because they will say that they understand that this is important for them. And he'll be like, okay, what are you actually doing? Tell me, like, show me your timeline. What are you posting? And they're like, oh, we do two a week. And he'll like grab their phone and spin around and take a picture of them and say, give me one sentence about why your mission is important. Boom, pound it out, post. Like we super, super, super overthink all of this stuff. Social media is ephemeral. Being consistent is much more important than being novel and, you know, putting your your life's work, your piece de resistance out there every single day. It just doesn't happen. Like, that's not how social media works. And the notion that you're going to make something that's perfect every single time is also founded on the kind of misconception that everybody needs to hear the same thing. So, I mean, take this daily podcast. There's episodes and questions and things that we talk about where I'm like, that doesn't really light my fire so much, but I know that a lot of people need to hear it. And so I try to be, namely, more than anything else, consistent. We're actually going to talk about that at the end of this episode. And covering the problems and the pains of the people who listen to my stuff. So just like we talk about you need to serve a more specific pain point in your accounting firm, like that's what I do through my content, is what are the things that pain accounting firm owners? I try to consistently show up and cover those things. So you got your Gary V approach that is post 16 times a day. You got what most firms do, which is nothing. And then another subset where they've hired an agency and they do three posts a week that are like these card graphic sort of things that are super vanilla that absolutely nobody engages with. Nobody will ever engage with. I don't know if there was a time when they did on social media, but they certainly don't now. And like that stuff's just gonna go straight to the bottom of the pile forever. But then you got people like New Axis, you're spending an hour a day here on social media. That's awesome. I think some of it may be dependent on the the stage of your firm. That being said, there's never a time to stop. Like I always say, you can always find a better client. You can always serve a more specific pain point. And social media is how you attract those people. But an hour a day, uh, I don't know, that feels reasonable. It depends upon your role within the firm. If you, for example, if you run a solo practice and you're in charge of doing all of the work, there's a very real cost to you taking time away. I always would struggle with the notion of running a solo firm because everything would fall on me. But what I would love to do is have the flexibility to be kind of the the crafter of that client list where I'm I'm curating, I'm deciding who's gonna go, but I'm also the one that's going out there and attracting way better ones 
than the ones that we have right now. Like that's like, honestly, you got to be able to get the work done, the technical stuff done and correctly and all of that. But is besides that, is there anything more important than attracting the right clients? You know, the ones that will pay you twice as much, finding that next client that'll pay you twice as much as the clients you have on your list today. Like that's extremely important. And ultimately I've always said, I don't know what the right balance is between doing the work and marketing what you do, but I can tell you that 99% of us are spending too much time doing the work. And doing the work until the end of time isn't taking you anywhere. Yes, you are reliable. Maybe you're building trust with the people that you're helping year over year, but a lot of people don't feel like they're in a very sustainable spot. And honestly, your business can always be better. And that is not growth. That is you know, more profitable better for the people who work for you, stuff like that that ultimately gives you more flexibility in your firm. Theme, let me tell you, uh, this episode is sponsored in part by Copilot, the portal that makes all of your wildest, your wildest, wildest dreams come true within the business context. Name of the game with Copilot is flexibility, the notion that you can build that client portal to do any old thing you want it to do because your needs, they're unique. You know, us accountants, we are absolute snowflakes. Nobody understands the problems that our clients have quite like we do, which makes nobody more equipped to know what they need than me. Don't tell me how to work with my client, how to collaborate with them on a website. You're lucky I don't know how to make the software because I'd make just what my client needed and they would love it. Well. Gang, that day is here because Copilot gives you the ultimate flexible platform to put any old thing you want in that portal. Totally customize each section, customize what different clients and different client groups see because your clients aren't just a bunch of drones that are all the exact same and need the exact same thing. And if you really wanted to be that locked down and serve everybody the exact same way, then you'd be off running some sort of software startup that's just gonna serve up this vanilla, lame, boring version that's the same for everybody, doesn't take into account their actual needs. That's not you though, you're better than that, okay? And get a client portal that'll lean into the snowflake that you are and the specific needs your clients have. Is that a bad thing to say? Does Snowflake have like too many negative connotations? You know what I mean. Nobody understands the nuance like you do, okay? And Copilot's the portal that'll meet you in the middle. Learn more about this one uh, at the link in the show notes. This episode is sponsored in part by the fine folks at Cloud Accountant Staffing. Do you hire accountants? Bless your little heart. Uh, not the best part of the job, in my opinion. Not something I ever enjoyed. Well, listen. You can build your accounting dream team, dream team with talented offshore accountants in the Philippines that work 100% full-time for your firm. Their accountants aren't freelancing or contracting for multiple firms. They're all yours. They work exclusively for you and are incentivized to stay with you and your team long-term. They're not going to get swiped. Cloud Account Staffing is 100% dedicated to the accounting industry and founded by a former accounting firm owner that understands your business, knows your pain points. They had to hire some accountants and they said, you know what, we're gonna build our own pipeline in the Philippines. Gonna pull in some super talented people and then open that up to other firms. Basically, that's the story. Uh, I've been talking about, a lot about staffing, building more resilient staffing pipelines for your firms. I, I had staff in the Philippines, at, like, totally red-pilled me to like, oh geez, like we need to globalize the way that we get our work done. Uh, check these folks out. Link in the show description, cloudaccountantstaffing.com. So you're never gonna 
I think ultimately stop investing in finding people. And that is having that discussion on, on social media every single day. But how to get to an absolute number, man, I don't know. If you are a salesperson, yes. Post 16 times a day across social media. Like the world is so much bigger than we can comprehend. And that may seem ridiculous and like a lot, but I mean, one in every thousand person in the accounting profession has ever heard of me. And this is a tiny little bubble, right? Like there's so many more people out there in the world than within the accounting profession. So it probably depends on how, like what your role is within the firm. But if you're starting out, for example, like an hour a day, like that sounds good to me. You're trying to find that first specific type of person. And the reality is it takes time to build an audience, but it's like the ultimate hack. And if somebody could tell you in two or three years from now, you're going to have access to all of these opportunities and people will be willing to pay you three or four X as much. You know, if we look at the business and we think about making different investments like that, be it a piece of machinery or something like that, most of the time, like that's going to look like an absurdly high ROI investment. It's just kind of ambiguous because we don't have control. Ultimately, we don't have total control over the outputs. You don't have control over how much people engage with your stuff. And it's why my goals have never been like, I want to hit an average of 5,000 views per video or stuff like that. I don't have control over that. I have control over how good I think the videos are and like trying to better understand what people will engage with and stuff like that. But it's hard to make this really concrete calculation around social media. And so as a result, like oftentimes we don't do anything. But everybody ought to be doing something. Uh, There's definitely wrong ways to do it. I don't know that I'm the guy to like whisper the secrets of mastering social media into anybody's ear. Uh, There's an abundance of information out there on it, but I will say the one thing that most content gets wrong, uh, most content about about content, that is, is it's leaning too hard into mass scale stuff. It's like, I don't, it's trying to make you into a general celebrity influencer where the value and the cool business is in the micro niche. So don't get lured into those vanity metrics. Uh, this one's from Mo. Man, sorry, some of these questions are old. Uh, we got a we got a bit of a backlog. Mo in a YouTube comment. What would be your best advice on creating a tax strategy PDF book as a lead magnet and just sharing tips? Would you even go this route? Uh, would you hire a bookmaker? I might have gotten this question before we did the episode on on selling your first digital product. And so definitely check out that episode we did a few I don't know a week ago if you haven't yet. I don't know that I would make a book about tax strategy, because that stuff isn't especially evergreen. But, you know, if you thought through like kind of what of your what are your best 10 bits of advice for a very specific type of person, you'd probably pull out the most evergreen among those and put it in a book. Uh, do you hire a, a bookmaker? Uh, so like a ghostwriter? Uh, maybe. That's honestly, it depends on how much value you assign to it. Ghostwriters can be kind of spendy. If that's an investment worth making, then sure. Like a ghostwriter can be a really helpful forcing function to to ensure that that book actually gets out the door. A massive percentage of the books that are published are ghostwriters do the majority of the heavy lifting. That's just the reality, especially around people within businesses and all that. Like do not be afraid to hire a ghostwriter. But if you're going to put it in a book format, I would look for things that are more evergreen than tax strategy and just make sure it's mega, mega, mega specific to a certain type of person. Mo, I can't remember. I know you've said what niche you're working on. I can't remember what it was. But again, you want that thing to sit on a bookshelf and the person to walk by and be like, oh my gee, this is so specific to me that I have to stop and pick it up. That's what you're going for in terms of specificity. If it's anything less than that, frankly, nobody's going to read it because it's so general. Like, and I, if I went out and I wrote something super general tomorrow, like nobody would read it, right? 
So just get super specific. And if you're gonna put it in book form, try to do something fairly evergreen. Uh, Laura Cohen mentioned in a YouTube comment, I'm surprised you didn't comment on how low the average fees were in the NATP tax pro fee survey. I actually brought this up in, was it the main channel video that went out this last weekend? Or maybe it's next weekend. Yeah, the average like 1040 tax prep fees, that is a personal individual tax turn on that study were like 300 bucks, which for a professional tax shop is super, super low. I suspect most of the people in that survey were more like retail tax shops, but man, I, that stuff's also relative these days. And there's so many giant firms that would never touch a tax return that was under, you know, 10K. I talked to somebody recently who actually, I think listens to this podcast. There was a mid-market firm who is having to pair the client list way back and they were cutting loose just across the board, all clients who didn't pay them north of 10K per year. And this is a small firm. And so they just cut a ton of clients loose who are used to paying five to 10K a year. And this is a guy with a tax practice and like, I don't know, five employees. And he's like, I will happily take your 1120S that you pay eight grand a year for, like absolutely no problem. So it's all relative. We all started, uh, you know, embarrassingly low. We all are on different stages in a journey. The last thing in the world I want to do is make somebody early on in the journey feel dumb because frankly, we need twice as many people to get on the bus as are on the bus at the moment. So yes, I think it's just that survey skewed towards like retail tax prep shops, but I know so many phenomenal tax people that started in retail tax shops, right? And I would love to see, you know, TurboTax Live kick off a whole new generation of people that go into tax work that maybe wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, and then ultimately those people want to go do something, you know, better or start their own firm. Um, the entry-level tax stuff, I love it. I want to see more of it uh, because people need a, a low stakes way to come in and build some expertise. So they can go out and run their own rad firm, right? Whew, we were all knuckleheads when we got started. The very first tax return I was ever asked to do, I was 19 years old. I started an internship at a small firm and I hadn't had any tax classes. I th don't know that I'd ever even seen a tax turn. I had done like a 1040 easy and turbo tax with my W-2, but they plopped me down and they said, here's this uh, C-Corp. They were doing maybe three or $4 million a year and they haven't filed like three years. So you're going to go back and figure out the last three years filings. And ProFX, and I had never done a tax turn. Oh my gosh. What an absolute dumpster fire. You didn't even have like the prior year to use for reference, right? And so that thing, I don't know if they just gave me that to keep me busy all summer, but bless his heart. The man that was like the technical reviewer that was kind of in the same little part of the office as me, man alive, I must've driven that guy nuts. But wouldn't you know it, like 10 years later, man, he was like, in my firm, my best technical tax person. And bless his heart, he uh, kept my shame a secret of just how bad I was at all of those things uh, starting out. It's a weird relationship with technical reviewers because they see your darkest moments. When you make that mistake and you're like, you can't even look them in the eyes, right? And you're like, this shall never be spoken of. Weird relationship, that. Gang, this episode is sponsored in part by Liveflow. Uh, Liveflow is the easiest way to sync that. QuickBooks data back and forth to your spreadsheets. You may have seen this actually had a big announcement lately. So this fall, G2 gave them the top spot in their fall 2023 report as the leader in the financial analysis category. That's right, they won. Number one, nice work. Uh, if you've been around my channels for a while, you've seen LifeFlow kindly, they have sponsored quite a bit of stuff. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying I'm taking credit for it. 
but that was probably why. If you're not familiar with LiveFlow, super easy way to sync that stuff, sync your QuickBooks data back and forth with Google Sheets. They got a whole pile of templates too to make the process of building that stuff for the first time as easy as possible for you. Stuff for managing cash, AP, KPIs, like everything you can imagine. Sync that data into your existing sheets to make them smarter, get it to auto-sync or build your like custom new sheets that talk with QuickBooks totally from scratch. Uh, pretty cool tool. Check that one out at liveflow.io. Hey, let me just record this podcast. Not, I can't because my computer's broken. It isn't really broken. But if it was, and I was in an accounting firm, you know who I'd call? Tech Guru. That's right, this episode is sponsored in part by Tech Guru, IT for accounting firms. Because you got better stuff to do than fix your broken computer. Now, if you don't have a partner yet for managing this stuff for you, buddy, I don't know what to tell you. You're doing it wrong. And the nice thing about finding a IT group that works specifically with accounting firms is they understand like the actual tools that we use. When you show them your tax software, they're not like, what is this absolute POC? I spent um, myself a lot of money training non-accounting firm IT groups on how to understand things like CCH engagement. Uh, whereas if you go to a group like TechGuru that actually works with accountants, they already understand this stuff. They know to leave UTF alone during busy season. And so like the cadence of how they plan and strategize with you is actually catered to your firm and like the cycles that your firm goes through. Uh, check out Tech Guru, put a link in the show notes because you got better stuff to do, okay? Uh, Derek Foote dropped this one in the YouTube comments. For firms that are in the cycle of billing post-completion, that is like billing after the fact when a project is done, what do you think a transition looks like to advanced billing? Hard switch on everyone or something gradual. So I don't agree with a lot of people here who say you gotta do the exact same thing for everybody. If that's where I wanna be, I would make sure that the next client I brought in the door, they thought that was reality and that's how we always do it for them. And there is people who say, you maniac, you are making your life incredibly difficult by doing different things for different people. But I also think the flip side of that, always doing the exact same thing with every single client, man, justice, a little too high stakes for me. And it biases us toward inaction because we're like, oh, is this the right thing to do across every single one of our clients? If you get it wrong, that's a really big deal then, right? I am more of the mind that at any given time, I am building towards a new practice that is better than the practice that I have right now. And that starts a client at a time. And so to bring this to like the pre-billing question, if you absolutely want to make that your policy, you totally can. Go across the board, sure. Uh, it requires paying all that stuff up front. I'm starting to think as I answer this question that it's possible that I've answered this question already. Let me tell you, a lot of content has uh, flown under the bridge in the last two weeks. Apologies in advance if I have. So I'd say start with the folks who are new coming in the door that don't know any different. Then next, look at folks who are changing packages, changing tiers. If they're going up a tier, say the deal with this tier is you got to pay deposit. Like you got to pay up front. That's just what it is. Last, if you really want to risk irritating folks, it's not the end of the world if you do uh, impose that on everybody. What are they gonna do? Leave? Oftentimes that isn't the worst thing, right? And the people who love you, honestly, that's not gonna make a difference. Like the people who love you, uh, who you're doing a great job for, they're gonna have absolutely no problem paying up front rather than paying after the fact. If anybody's bent out of shape, it's probably the people who are already bent out of shape. It's almost like, I think it's Amazon or something, like they offer people a bonus every year to leave. And the people who are most on the fence about working for you and the least jazz, they're gonna leave. And so I don't know, maybe that's actually a good forcing function uh, to send people out the door if they're not super jazzed about working with you. Okay, 
A wee little peep behind the curtains. A few folks have asked kind of just state of the union. What's going on in my biz? My priorities? Where the hey have I been? Why have I not been publishing Jason Daily Daily? And listen, if you've been here from the beginning, I've said, while it is a show that is called Jason Daily, I don't I don't ultimately think that is something we'll do every single day. That being said, I think we made it on like the first 62 episodes or something like that where every day, bless, what a run. The main reason I haven't been able to do daily the last couple months, what kicked it off was Martini, my editor, absolutely busting the hay out of his collarbone. He's like boogie boarding or something like that. I don't know. He's not even the one that edits this this podcast anymore so he probably won't even see this but what that actually did besides breaking his collarbone was rip some band-aids off for me where i was like man i got to build out the content team a little more uh you know the old being one person away from being hosed problem that we talk about a lot that was me and so that took a little bit of time to sort of rebuild the team to have some more redundancies and pull some more people into the mix like Harper, who is the person editing this episode. Harper's killing it, he's doing a great job. So part of it was just having to reshuffle the team to have more redundancy, but also to be able to handle more volume ultimately as we scale stuff up further. Some other changes that have happened recently that have kind of deprioritized this, I say that, like worst case, I think we've done Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So it's not as if, who like who else is publishing thrice weekly accounting podcast right now but other stuff we're now publishing a second video per week on the youtube main channel that are like sponsored actually using bits of software type of videos on my main channel i can't really show software in action because there's so many bloody tools out there and i don't feel like i can do a software tool justice just hopping in and being like here's how to use it because reality is i cannot use every single tool that's out there and learn the nuance i don't want to like give a this like implied shade of a shortcoming of a tool if I don't think it does this thing, but then it actually does this thing. So I know there's a real appetite for more hands-on deep diving into tools. There are a lot of sponsors that want to show that off. And while I never did that in the past because it felt like, I don't know, it's like selling out to, to do entire sponsored videos. What I learned the more I talked about software, like when I say, here's, you know, start your firm with one of these 17 apps, everybody's like, show me the app. So what I learned is there's actually a lot of value in being able to see into an app. And most of the tools that people most want to see are like the same people who are sponsoring stuff on my content and our practice management systems, stuff like that. So there was kind of this marriage between content that sponsors were willing to get behind and the audience wanting to see more live demos of tools and action. And so now each Wednesday on the main channel, we do these demo days. The first one was Keeper, like one of the coolest tools in the space. This last one was Makers Hub, which is like an AP automation platform that, oh my gosh, would have saved us so much time on some of our projects the last few years and firm running days. But scaling up to a second main channel video per week, that's a, that's a lot more production because those videos are very highly produced compared to these. So that's been taking some more time. But gang, there's other cool stuff that we've actually been investing a bunch of time and money into that has, that's not here yet, but it's coming soon. Uh, the first of which I'm hopeful we'll be talking about and I will be out in the wild about a month from now. And then another super cool thing that I hope we're gonna have by the end of the year. So this, like the cool thing about doing all this stuff, about having sponsors, about you lovely people tuning in is... Um, we're able to reinvest a lot of this back into uh, making cool stuff that is even more helpful for people who do what we do. Because I hear you, 
people saying, you know, my most asked question, how do I choose what practice management system to use? Like there are just certain things where it's like, yep, nope, you're right. There really isn't a that a helpful resource for deciding this sort of thing. And when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, you can't be like, you can't be the hero to every situation, but you think like, is there a way to do this where maybe I have an advantage? And I definitely do because I've got great relationships with all the software companies out there. Is there something here that we can do that would make people's lives easier, but also longer term? Like we're, we're definitely investing in more content, but longer term, I'm not sure if content will always be 100% of my focus or more like tools for people like and and tools that are really meaningful and can make a difference. Uh, that being said, yeah, there's other stuff that we're working on too that's taken some time that'll be coming out later this year. Two months ago, this was me and Martini, buddy. Like me and the editor, like, and he's part-time. It was just us. Now there's a lot more people on the team. And if you recall, my one anti-goal for this year, building a big old team. So way to go, Jason. No, I, it's it's still not a big old team and I'm still trying to keep things as lean as possible, but we're definitely investing in a very different way around people that can help drive these projects forward and do some really cool stuff. But still for me, first and foremost, is content, is getting out there and uh, being helpful and being more visible. You're gonna see a lot more short form stuff. We're investing in that pretty heavily right now. So you're gonna be seeing more of that stuff out in the wild. And nobody sees that stuff as much as you, the people who are already engaged with my content. And thank you very much for that. And this is like a great content lesson, I think, is the human reaction to that is, goodness gracious, nobody needs to see this much stuff. Or if it's a clip of me answering a question, well, surely they've already seen me answer that question because I did it on my podcast. Well, the reality is, buddy, like nobody watches like the stuff that you make and you have this spotlight sort of thing, like even with this podcast where I'm like, well, did I talk about that in episode three? If I can't remember, I would venture to guess that nobody that listens to this remembers because you know what? They have lives and they're not always thinking about you like you are. So like I've had to get over like, it's okay to say the same thing again. And it's okay to put that stuff out there more because 99.9% of people have no idea who you are. And so we're, we're investing in and more video going out, more places. I'm, I'm more active on Instagram now, trying to get back in, out to TikTok because there just needs to be more intelligent conversation about firm running, I think, in general, that is not stuffy corporate stuff, but particularly for me, for people of my generation for who, who are struggling to see a version of this that works for them long-term. We're losing these people in droves every single day because they have never seen or heard from somebody that thinks like they do about firm running. And five years ago, I didn't know all this stuff was possible. Like all these things I've learned have been from other people who have managed to build, you know, calm, profitable firms and actually have a healthy lifestyle doing this stuff. And so I really want to hammer that stuff and get it out there to be more visible. I apologize if it means you see me answer the same question a couple of times. But what we're trying to do is like make a difference, man. Like actually show people the path to doing this in a more sustainable way. Hopefully turn a new generation onto something that maybe they didn't realize was possible. And I know a lot of you kids listen to this podcast and thank you, I appreciate it. I'm hopeful that we are, I don't know, kind of like charting a path to a version of this stuff that, I don't know, actually seems fun 
and sustainable and you can imagine yourself doing for the rest of your career because that was really hard for me to visualize. So I'm trying to get that stuff out there for, for more people so that it feels accessible. So we're definitely investing more in that stuff, more in short form and publishing that stuff on more platforms. And part of that has meant building out the team a bit and making deeper use of the content that we already have for social platforms. So I'm still loving the daily pod. Like I would, if I had the time in the day, I would still love to do this every single day because I think there's always so much to talk about. But where I've kind of gotten to is, is the highest impact thing to do to make a pod recording for Thursday or to skip Thursday and get your best stuff out in front of, you know, a thousand more people or something like that. And that's kind of where I'm, where I'm leaning is we've invested a little bit more time in getting that stuff out wider so that, so that more people can benefit from it. I also been doing a lot of bloody traveling, uh, in person. So I was, uh, it ended up being like in 72 nights, I slept in my own bed twice but it was all good stuff. It was like family trips. It was some work trips. It was all that. And honestly, still got a lot of travel this year where I would love to see you. So like doing a number of conferences, the in-person stuff. I'll be at the AICPA Executive Roundtable next week. I know a lot of software folks that listen to this will be there. That'll be fun. I'll be at the ASPA conference in DC. That is for pension plan professionals late next month. I'll be at QuickBooks Connect in November. If you've never been to an accounting conference, that is a killer one if you enjoy the tech ecosystem. It'll be a lot of fun. I'll be speaking. Ryan Reynolds will be there. <laughs> oh, be still my heart. Uh, and then December, Digital CPA. It is at the AICPA's more tech-geared conference, which is also in Vegas. I'll be there in December talking and hanging out too. So if you've never done a conference before, please like do one of those. It's a ton of fun. I'm going to meet a bunch of cool people and learn a lot. But along the way, we'll keep making cool stuff. Probably take the show on the road again. Who knows? Maybe we'll get another bathtub episode. And we'll keep getting better at this stuff together. Okay, see you in the next one.